The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of world peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. I am a never again Trumper. Why? Because I want to win. And we lose with Trump. It was really clear to us in 18, in 20, and now in 2022. Trump was saying that we'd be winning so much we'd get tired of winning. I say three strikes and you're out. If you repeatedly lose to a really bad team, it's time for new leadership. The reason we're losing is because Donald Trump has put himself before everybody else. So he's had his chance. He doesn't, he obviously does not have the qualities necessary to unite the party, which is the first step uh, on the road back. And uh, he should stand aside. So there they are, the Republicans lining up and their, uh, their strategy, dump Trump, got to get rid of Trump if we're going to ever be able to win an election again. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining us. Our growing audience comes to our very own website to watch the stream live. That's at thetrumpet.com. Just go to thetrumpet.com forward slash live if you want to watch the program every day at 11 a.m. here in the central time zone of the United States. And of course, all of the shows are posted at our website after the fact as well, should you choose to listen or watch on demand. So here's uh, CNN. This is how CNN uh, was reporting on some of these prominent Republicans coming forward now and, and just saying it outright. We don't want Trump anymore. This is clip four. A weekend Republican meeting out in Vegas featured a half dozen or so potential 2024 presidential candidates who in different ways made clear they believe it is time for the GOP to move on. And that meeting also featured Donald Trump, who made clear he isn't going anywhere. And so you've got the two sides. Really, you've got the one standing virtually alone, as I went through yesterday, and then everyone else in the establishment. But Trump obviously making it clear that he's not going away anytime soon. There, there was a, a pretty amazing opinion piece in the New York Times, of all places, just talking about Trump's appeal. I think the uh, journalist here uh, used to write over at The Federalist. So it's probably someone that's more conservative in her thinking. It's surprising, really, that the New York Times would even run this. But it says here, despite near unison attempts from conservative media to declare his moment in the Republican sun over, Donald Trump refuses to go away. He is initially back on the hunt for the, officially I should say, back on the hunt for the Republican nomination. And this resistance from many parts of the Republican universe obscures the fact that he may very well still win the nomination, if not in spite of the elite power brokers of the political right trying to stop him, then perhaps because of them. In other words, this criticism coming from every direction now in the Republican Party, it could backfire. That's what she's suggesting. It says here, in, well, she quotes Trump from last week when he announced his candidacy. Together we will be taking on the most corrupt forces and entrenched interests imaginable. 
And her point is that there's a lot of people in America who believe that, 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 that Trump is going up, uh, up against corruption on a grand scale. It says here, Mr. Trump's appeal has been difficult for many mainstream GOP politicians and pundits to stomach. They're embarrassed about Mr. Trump and in the case of elected officials about representing people who would vote for him. So that's why McConnell and others withdrew funding from other politicians as well. And, and this is why the, the entire party is ignoring the fraud that went on in Arizona, the obvious fraud. It says here, but the characteristics that Washington Republicans hate, the bombast, the outrageousness, is what makes his base trust him. They love that Mr. Trump points at the system and calls it what it is, corrupt. And then she goes on to quote the comedian who recently said that he, you know, he benefited from the system himself when he was uh, the billionaire real estate mogul. He knows how corrupt it is. She quotes uh, his speech again uh, from last Tuesday. Anyone who truly seeks to take on this rigged and corrupt system will be faced with a storm of fire that only a few could understand. There still are a lot of Americans who think that only Trump, only Donald Trump, is cut out for this kind of a war, is cut out for this kind of a battle, ready for war. I noted this yesterday on the show. That's the next Trumpet, the January issue of the Trumpet magazine, coming to your mailbox soon, the 800 number if you haven't subscribed yet, 1-866-930-3024. But all these forces aligned against Donald Trump, and he pointed that out. We, pl we played this clip for you already twice, I believe, on uh, last week's programs. Listen again to Donald Trump from last Tuesday, clip seven. We will be resisted by the combined forces of the establishment, the media, the special interests, the globalists, the Marxist radicals, the woke corporations, the weaponized power of the federal government, the colossal political machines, the tidal wave of dark money, and the most dangerous domestic censorship system ever created by man or woman the most dangerous system we've ever had. We will be attacked. We will be slandered. We will be persecuted just as I have been. I mean, I have been, but many people in this room have been. But we will not be intimidated. We will persevere. We will stand tall in the storm. We will march forward into the torrent. And we, in the end, will win. Our country will win. We will win. That's a, a winning message. And you leave aside, you leave aside the obvious voter fraud, I'll come to that in just a second, from uh, the last couple of elections. And uh, that's been a winning message for years now. He is the Republican Party. This, uh, this author in the New York Times, this journalist, she says that, you know, when you think about the, the, other, the other establishment Republicans that have won elections over the past couple decades, you know, what have, what have they done? You look at what's happening to the United States. I mean, what, like I said, like I said the other day with respect to Nancy Pelosi, I mean, what, what legislation, what signature legislation has she brought through the House that, that really has just helped Everyone in the United States. 
it says here, what did Bob Dole, John Boehner, Mitch McConnell, the Bushes, or the Cheneys ever do to stop illegal immigrant, illegal immigration? What do they do to stop that or to protect vulnerable families and communities from globalization or to solve the opioid crisis? Check corporate consolidation over information and speech. Stem the tide of left-wing culture, cultural aggression or stand up for the rights of parents not to have their children indoctrinated in schools. See, who, who, who stood up to this? Donald Trump's the only one. What, what has Liz Cheney done to slow down this, this avalanche of illegal immigration? None of them have done anything. That's the, that's the answer. That's the short answer. Nothing. Charlie Kirk, he was on with Fox Business the other day. Listen to what he said, clip five. And, and by the way, the, the, all of the detractors that we're listening, that we see right now this morning, are the same detractors that we heard seven years ago when he announced the last time. And they were wrong then, and they're wrong now. And, and the reason they talk about all of the things that they want to talk about with Donald Trump is because they're still terrified of addressing the issues that Donald Trump wants to talk about. And these are issues that 60, 70, 80 percent of the American population cares about. And, and, and politicians in Washington, they don't have an answer for it. They don't have an answer. They're just terrified of everything that Donald Trump represents. And they're desperate. This was uh, from the Washington Examiner. Trump, Trump, a severe underdog in Iowa caucus. So now he's running way behind. It's all coordinated, isn't it? These Repu Bill Barr coming out with his op-ed today in the New York Post, basically saying, we've got to dump Trump. Mike Pence did his effort last week. Well, he's still doing it. He's just, uh, you know, he's a little more uh, guarded, I guess, in how he expresses himself. But he's in the same camp. They've got to get rid of Trump and get back to establishment rule in the Republican Party. This is from that Examiner piece. Meanwhile, Trump has gone from 56% to just 30% among Iowa Republicans asked to name their first choice for the caucuses, According to this outfit that surveyed, wait for it, 370 people. They've surveyed 370 people in Iowa, and now they know. Now they know people are finished with Trump. That these are the acts of people who are desperate. Desperate for power. Desperate for the status quo. Desperate for things to remain the same. Back to that issues uh, and insights piece, I believe it. What this may, actually is probably the. Oh, I hope I didn't uh, mix and match a little bit on my notes. I think this is still the New York Times article. Sam can look into this and give me a thumbs up. It says here an entire generation of Republican leaders has blithely, blithely ignored and betrayed the core concerns of many Republican voters, while too many of their jobs were shipped to China. Their sons were sent off to unwinnable wars, and their communities were poisoned by drugs. It says here, compare this thinly veiled contempt with the way Mr. Trump embraced the working class voters. He was the only Republican since Ronald Reagan who seemed to genuinely like everyday Americans. And that's why they like him. He fights for them. It says, to political insiders, Mr. Trump's imperviousness to criticism from the likes of National Review or even uh, Tea Party era conservative standard bearers seems like a, a, a seem, seemed like a kind of superpower. It says, to his supporters, though, all those, who, all those attacks revealed 
the elitist contempt for conservative voters. He was anti-establishment. And it's a winning message. It was in 2016, and it is today. It is today. Not that we're putting all of our hopes in the election process, because that is corrupt through and through. For sure it is. Well, she goes on and, and explains how Ron DeSantis is in a pretty difficult position. If he's the one to, you know, grab the mantle and carry on leading the Republican Party, uh, he also got to the position he's in thanks to the red wave. So as I have said, he's been fairly quiet of late. It says here, Mr. Trump still wants to upend the system that Republican voters distrust. Since 2016, the establishment has lit more of its credibility on fire. You don't have to thank Mr. Trump. You don't have to think Mr. Trump should be canonized as a saint to believe the system is still rigged, as corrupt and hostile to non-elite Americans as ever. She says, finally, if Mr. Trump once again runs against that system and the people who run that system haughtily, censoriously, align with their other candidates, who do you think Republican voters will support? And that's what you see coming from a lot of these Republicans. Just haughtiness, a smug spirit, you know, holier than thou. We know, we know. As I say, Bill Barr, he had his op-ed in the New York Post titled, Trump threatens to burn down the GOP. It's time to move on. Yeah, Trump is the problem. Trump is the reason for all these problems. Here, here the United States is being attacked by this communist insurrection. And these Republicans, these prominent Republicans, many of them who, who worked for Donald Trump, they see Trump as the enemy, the, the number one enemy that we're facing. He's going to burn down the GOP, so we've got to get rid of him. This is from Bill Barr. It says, during the Republican primaries in 2016, I supported in succession every alternative to Donald Trump. I did not see him as our party's standard bearer. He was not my idea of a president. I could see, says Bill Barr, I could see that he was grossly self-centered, lacked self-control, and almost always took his natural pugnacity too far. While he could be compelling, I found myself cringing at his frequent juvenile, bombastic, and petulant style. I just don't like his style, says Bill Barr. It says, as a result of this strategy, Trump succeeded, this is further on in the piece, in driving a record turnout of his own supporters, and he also generated a more massive turnout for Joe Biden. This is talking about the one from two years ago. The millions of voters who flocked to the polls to pull, to pull the Democratic lever set historic records and swamped the Trump voters. They did not come to vote for Biden. They came to vote against Trump. He really believes this, that that's all that Democrats or independents care about these days is just vote against Trump. Fraud did not prevent Trump's second term. Trump himself was the reason. He's been out front, Bill Barr, to, to basically insist that this is, these are perfect elections we're talking about here. No fraud, no, no nefarious activity, the, the mules, the machines, the glitches, none of that happened. That's not the reason that Trump lost. 
The reason Trump lost is, well, Trump says here, it is painfully clear from his track record in both the 2020 election and the 2022 midterms that Donald Trump is neither capable of forging this winning coalition nor delivering the decisive and durable victory required. See, to say this over and again, that he's lost three straight elections, he's a loser, he just keeps losing. The built-in implication there, of course, is that all of these elections were perfect, which they were not. And then think about the other argument that they're making. Well, you know, Republicans win if we just get good candidates. If we just would have had a good candidate, we could have beaten Fetterman. Or we would have run away with the governor's race against Katie Hobbs. Here, look at these Democrat candidates for a moment. People, people actually are looking at what happened in Pennsylvania and saying, yeah, I think Pennsylvania showed up because they want more abortions and they want to support a, a senator who's suffering from brain damage. And a, and a better candidate takes care of that from the Republican side. All of the anomalies and the inconsistencies. I mean, you have to suspend even common sense to just accept their premise. Their premise that all the elections are perfect and Donald Trump is the problem. Not even just with the Republican Party. He's, the, he's America's problem. America's biggest problem. We just have to get rid of Trump. So the establishment can rule. This, this, here's the article now from issue, Issues and Insights, talking about what happened in 2020, and then again, just a couple weeks ago. It says here, in the past, when some of my, my candidates lost elections, I was disappointed and shrugged it off. In 2020, something didn't make sense. According to a 2020 Gallup poll, Trump had been picked by the public as the most admired man that year. That was two years ago. <laughs> two years ago. And now he's a monster? And now he's everything that's wrong with America? It says here, his accomplishments had been outstanding. The polls said he would win easily. Trump's opponent was nowhere to be seen. Then, that election night, Chuck Todd, who was reporting and who has a typical obsessive, blinding hatred for Trump, was grinning ear to ear while describing Trump's lead. In other words, he knew. He knew the blue wave would come once they suspended the vote, once they stopped counting. And this author here at Issues and Insights is saying, something doesn't add up here. We can go back and revisit that some other time. All of that, just two years ago, 24 months ago, the cover-up of Hunter Biden's laptop, all of it, all of it, and by the well, I'll come to that later. I don't want to get ahead of myself. It says here, and now, now something again doesn't make sense. Consider the following. 73% of people polled placed crime and inflation as top concerns. Now he's talking about 2022, both a result of Democrats. No one can cite a single accomplishment of Democrats but can enumerate a number of disasters. Prior to the election, polls predicted Republicans would get a big majority of the Senate and the House. Every prior midterm election resulted in victories for the party of the op, the, uh, part, the party opposite uh, the White House. 
It says here, aside from hardcore leftists, nobody respects or likes Biden. Even mainstream journalists who usually indulge in fake news and suppress news unfavorable to Democrats admitted that inflation seriously hurt the economy. They even admitted that Latinos, blacks, independents, suburban women, and some Democrats were moving to the Republican side. And then you had the midterm. And then you have all of the anomalies, the red wave that swept through Florida and Ohio and, and large chunks of New York State even. But then the other anomalies, where they won in some of those swing states, the Democrats, that is. It says here, the leftists in the media and the Republican rhinos have seized on the opportunity to bash Trump as being the cause of the debacle. You know, no, no red wave, Donald Trump's to blame. And then it talks about the, the other possibility here, that some of these districts were rigged. It says here, Trump as being the cause of the debacle, urging people not to listen to him anymore. No other possibility enters their minds. Trump is the scape scapegoat. And then the author just goes on and talks about how there's, there's been a history of cheating in the Democrat Party. But you can't even bring up the subject. He points out how the Time Magazine gave us a blow-by-blow -blow account of how they stole the election after the fact. They, they couldn't resist themselves. It says, well, the fact that the fact of the matter is that Democrats have a historical record of electoral fraud from Tammany Hall through the Battle of Athens and the 1960 presidential election. After all, do you think that Democrats who once owned slaves, who applauded lynchings, who supported segregation and Jim Crow laws, who portrayed the KKK as heroes and now are implementing communism, would let a little thing like voter fraud bother them? You really, you really believe that none of them would cheat? That they're all squeaky clean when it comes to running elections? Really? You wonder if this, uh, this particular author has read through America under attack, talking about the communist attack here. He says, the communists, for that is what they are, controlled the executive and the legislature and most of the means of communication. They set their sights on the judiciary so that disinformation and hate speech and insurrection and satire and comedy would become criminal, if not capital offenses. The judiciary remained independent, but they'll try again. Retaining power over the legislature and the executive was foremost in their minds. Winning governorships here and there was a secondary goal, just frosting on the cake. It says, finally, you don't think that once communists gained power, they would peacefully give it up, did you? You didn't think that they would just peacefully hand this over. Well, of course not. The ends justify the means. And so these massive cheating operations were in place. The DOJ got involved. The deep state, the administrative state, the surveillance state, as we've seen. Listen to this, by the way, talking about the cover-up and the, the DOJ having a hand in that, the cover-up of the Biden crime family and uh, all of their criminal acts and behaviors, everything that's on the Hunter Biden laptop, everything that CBS is now finally reporting on, all of these mainstream organizations coming around and saying, yeah, it's, uh, it is Hunter's and uh, it does make the Biden family look pretty bad. But no, no special counsel to investigate any of that. There was a, a news item in the 
the, uh, the stack today saying that Trump and his people are engaged in four different uh, lawsuits this week. He's just, like he said in that clip I played for you, these are the forces aligned against him. And now right at the front are all these rhino Republicans. And the option of there being cheating, thievery going on, it, it, it doesn't even enter into their thinking. You can't even consider it. Listen to Donald Trump from, this was back when the, the Hunter laptop, this goes back two years, and uh, there's journalists just barking at him, hounding after him, that, that he would go on about the Hunter laptop, and then he would just dish it right back to them, as he should have. This is clip one. The strategy seems to be to call Biden a criminal. Why is that? He is a criminal. He's a criminal. He got caught. Read his laptop. And you know who's a criminal? You're a criminal for not reporting it. You are a criminal for not reporting it. Let me tell you something. Joe Biden is a criminal, and he's been a criminal for a long time. And you're a criminal in the media for not reporting it. Good luck, everybody. Have a good time. <laughs> good luck, everybody. I love the end there. You're a criminal for not reporting it. Who was right? That's from two years ago. Was that reporter? I think he's an NBC reporter. Was he right? Your strategy seems to be that you're calling uh, you're Joe, calling Joe Biden a criminal. And Trump says he is. It's on the laptop. And you won't report it. Why wouldn't they report it two years ago? Because it was so bad. It would have been so damaging. They had to cover it up. They called it Russian disinformation. And everybody in the surveillance state signed on. They signed on. They signed their name to the, to the dotted line saying, yeah, it has all the hallmarks of Russian disinformation. It sure does. But now CBS, 24 months later, they're trying to, well, they're, they're just trying, amid all of the noise, they've conducted their own independent investigation. They ought to do the same. In, uh, in the case of Arizona right now, since it's only two weeks out. But the strategy here, again, this is, the, this is the way the devil operates. Pull off the steel, and then as time goes on, you know, there's a little bit of a passage of time, and then sure enough, you'll get even conservatives coming before the microphone saying, well, we, we can't go there again. It's over. The election is over. We've got to think ahead to 2024. And really, the only storyline here is that we're putting too many Trump candidates out there, and we've got to get rid of Trump. And then we might be able to win an election again. I forget which quote. It was Grabian. This is, we, I'll play the clip for you first. This is from Carrie Lake coming out and sending this announcement to her, to her supporters and then give you Grabian's take on the, the clip, clip two. 40 days ago, elections in Arizona officially started when mail-in ballots were sent out across our state. Election day was 13 days ago, and Maricopa County is still counting ballots. Printer problems, tabulation errors, three-hour-long lines, and even longer. And confusing instructions given by election officials made this election day the most chaotic in Arizona's history. She's completely right in everything that she says there. There's two minutes of the clip. I played for you 40 seconds or so. But the, the guy over at Grabian, a conservative guy, this is, what, this is how he titled that clip, Carrie Lake still crying foul 
in bonkers new video, complete with nutty conspiracies, election botched and broken beyond repair. I mean, Grabian is, we've got to move on. These are conspiracy theories. Well, you know, there is such a thing as conspiracies. You see it in, in history. I mean, it's in human nature. A heart that's desperately wicked, deceitful above, above all things. It's like the Issues and Insights piece said. Look, if there's a history there even of cheating and stealing, shouldn't it be even considered? Well, Satan is also. He's a master at intimidating you into silence, and it works with people like it, it works with people like the guy heading up Grabian. There's only a few. There's only a few that have been as vocal as Donald Trump has been about the steal. This is what prevents red waves, is when the communists steal it. Listen to Mike Lindell as he talks about what happened in Arizona two weeks ago, clip three. We have cyber evidence of a 37,000 vote flip on the Kerry Lake race on Thursday after the election. We have all the Edison data that came in in real time that came through on all the races, including uh, Fincham, Blake Masters. They all won. Okay, they all won. And there are some signs of, of officials in Arizona that are going to delay the certification to look into some of this fraud. This is from uh, the Daily Caller. It says, election day tabulator or printer issues affected more Maricopa County, Arizona voting centers than authorities had previously claimed. According to a memo by an attorney who observed the voting process on November 8th, uh, the day of the midterm elections, 11 of the roving attorneys asked with uh, observing, tasked, I should say, with observing the election processes, in the Republican National Committee's uh, election integrity program in Arizona collectively visited nearly 52% of the county's voting centers, according to a memo sent to party officials and candidates by roving attorney Mark Sonkler. It says here, the memo alleged that 72 of those 115 visited centers, or roughly 60%, saw material problems with the tabulators not being able to tabulate ballots, resulting in substantial voter suppression. Substantial voter suppression. And Carrie Lake comes out with a video two weeks after the fact and says, hey, we're still fighting. We're still fighting for the truth here. We're still fighting to get another election, to get the last one thrown out so that we can have one that's free and fair. And where people aren't, uh, voters aren't suppressed. And yet this is just a bridge too far for Grabian, for Bill Barr, for any of them. Because as you're hearing, there was no red wave and it's Donald Trump's fault. All the people on the ticket, on the ballot in Arizona, by the way, were Trump supporters, whether it was the Secretary of State the Republican running for that position, or the governor, or the attorney general, all of them. The, the senator, uh, Blake Masters. And yet you have, this is from Fox News, Arizona County board members refuse to certify election results. So you have some counties saying, we're not going to certify until this gets straightened out. And this is Fox News. This is their take on it. 
The board overseeing a southeastern Arizona county whose Republican leaders had hoped to recount all Election Day ballots on Friday delayed certifying the results of last week's vote after hearing from a trio of conspiracy theorists who alleged that counting machines were not certified. This is like the, I don't know if it's the opening paragraph. It's the opening paragraph in my notes. And here's Fox News. Fox News! It's just conspiracy theories. That's all that's at play here. Can't even look at the evidence. It's, it's just a, a carbon copy of 2020. Well, here, here's the stack of affidavits. There's no evidence. What about going through the stack? There's no evidence. What about these witnesses? You want to interview them? No evidence. The same exact strategy. Just dismiss it. Pretend that it's not there. Or if they start screaming aloud, loud enough, like Carrie Lake, for example, then we'll just denounce her as being bonkers. She's a conspiracy theorist. These are wild and crazy conspiracies that she's coming up with. Yeah, you really do have to be delusional to, to just embrace all of these false narratives. They're coming at us fast and furious every single day, it seems. And then once it kind of gains some momentum, like you saw in the montage at the, at the top, they, they all jump on the bandwagon. It's all dump Trump. And let's get somebody else in there. This is from the Washington Examiner, by the way. It says here, speaking of the Department of Justice, or injustice, really, Attorney General Merrick Garland made it clear last week that the Justice Department intends to interfere in the 2024 presidential election. The unapologetic Biden administration's, uh, administration hacks decision to appoint a special counsel to investigate former President Trump, his alleged efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 election and his handling of classified documents came just three days after Trump announced his 2024 candidacy. The timing is not coincidence. This is the Democratic Party's fifth consecutive attempt to manipulate the will of the people. See, they're all in on it. And Bill Barr, he should be out there saying this is outrageous. This is persecution against the opposition no doubt about it instead bill barr now is cheering them on cheering on the special counsel cheering on you heard the clip we played yesterday yeah i think they've got the goods i think they're going to get trump and oh by the way trump should just he should just leave the republican party leave us alone he's caused so much damn any way they can get get rid of him and they're using every possible means Trump himself said it last Tuesday. This is what we're going up against, just so that you know. And there's a lot of people, as I said earlier, there's a lot of people in America that believe he is the only one with the courage to stand up to these evil forces. Trump stands, as this next issue of the Trumpet magazine brings out, you've got everyone else aligned on one side. And then you have Donald Trump on the other, standing virtually alone. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. If you'd like to submit some feedback to the show, you can email us, td at thetrumpet.com. We'll be right back. This is KPCG-FM, and this is the Trumpet Daily. The developed nations have made awesome progress. They have produced a highly mechanized world 
providing every luxury, modern convenience and means of pleasure. Yet they are cursed with crime, violence, injustice, sickness and disease, broken homes and families. At the same time, more than one half the world is living in illiteracy, abject poverty, filth and squalor. Violence and destruction are rapidly multiplying. Many ask, why, if God exists, does he allow so much violence and human suffering? To understand the reason behind this astonishing paradox, request a complimentary copy of Mystery of the Ages. We were born into this 20th century world as it is. We take it for granted, but we can't explain it. It's like viewing a movie at a point already near the end. We see what is occurring at that point, but not having seen it from the beginning and not knowing how events developed to the point of viewing, we simply cannot understand what we are seeing. Mystery of the Ages transports you back to the beginning of the movie, to the foundation of this present evil world. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. The Trumpet Daily. Uh, in the Bible study segment uh, yesterday, we went through some verses in Ezekiel 34 and ended with these couple later on in the, the chapter. I think this is verse 23 and 24. It says, And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. This is God in the world tomorrow setting up his shepherd, King David, to be king over Israel. He shall feed them, and he shall be their shepherd. Verse 24 says, And I, the Eternal, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Eternal, have spoken it. And we've studied the last two programs uh, into this role of a, of a shepherd and showed just how God loves the flock and how he takes care of us and, and really how that we're in training to be shepherds ourselves, to be like King David, to be like Jesus Christ, the chief shepherd, the, the, the good shepherd, as it says there in John 10. Notice, though, first, this is from Clark's commentary. This is a Bible commentary. Notice what it says about these two verses in Ezekiel 34. It says, David, king of Israel, had been dead upwards of 400 years, and from that time till now there never was a ruler of any kind, either in the Jewish church or state, of the name of David. This, then, must be some typical person. And from the text marked in the margin, we understand that Jesus Christ alone is meant, since both Old and New Testaments agree in this. This is Clark's commentary basically just using a, a bit of human reasoning and telling you that what the Bible says, isn't, it, it isn't even true. They're creating a false narrative, even in the world of religion, even in a, a, a distinguished Bible commentary, commentary, excuse me, they just cannot believe the truth as it's revealed in Scripture. They can't believe it. And so they just dismiss it. It's the same spirit that you see all over the world today. You see it in not just religion. You see it in politics. You see it in education. You see it everywhere. And someone that, you know, in the rare case where someone does come along with the truth, Satan tries to destroy them because that's what he wants to do. He wants to blot it out. They can't believe 
in the second coming of Jesus Christ and the establishment of God's government, God's family government on this earth, or that King David will be resurrected to assist Jesus Christ. Notice Psalm chapter 78. We'll just look at David's example. We've concentrated some on the example of Jesus Christ as the good shepherd. But notice what it says here in Psalm 78 and verse 70, where it says, God chose David, also his servant, and took him from the sheepfolds. He took him from the sheepfolds. That word sheepfolds, it means habitation. Uh, he was, I mean, he lived out among the sheep. He spent many a, many a day and night with the flock. David was a good shepherd, and he was a courageous shepherd, as I mentioned yesterday. He fought lions and bears to try to protect those sheep. This is what he told Saul in 1 Samuel 17 when I alluded to this yesterday, when he, he said, look, I'll take on Goliath. Why not? Who does he think he is defying the armies of the living God? David told Saul, your servant kept his father's sheep and there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by the beard, his beard, and smote him and slew him. It says, Your servant slew both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. God will take care of this battle. God will back me. God will fight through me. It's God's battle, ultimately. I mean, this is, this is a man of faith. This is a man who had a heart like God's. You can read that in Acts 13. We read it on Friday. He has a heart just like God's. And God saw that heart and said, Now, he can be an, an impressive king, a righteous king. And your Bible, as Ezekiel 34 says, prophesies of his rule in the kingdom of God, his coming rule. And then you have commentaries trying to carve all of this apart, saying, well, now, he had been dead for centuries, and uh, surely he's not coming back to life. And so it, it must just be referring to someone else, uh, or just basically referring, everything spiritualized away. It's all referring to Jesus Christ. If only the world could know and understand the truth and accept it in faith. Verse 71, it says, From following the ewes, great with young, he brought him to feed Jacob his people and Israel his inheritance. He was following the little lambs, David was, and God appointed him. God, God gave him the responsibility of presiding over all of Israel, king of Israel. Verse 72, it says, So he fed them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. That's what, it, that's what it takes to be a good shepherd. A shepherd feeds the flock. A shepherd guides the flock. A good shepherd protects the flock. Even in the New Testament, God's ministers are called shepherds. You can look at 1 Peter 5, 
a little bit later. We might have time to get into that uh, today. But look at how, how much emphasis God puts on the role of a shepherd throughout the Bible. I mean, it's not something <laughs> that we often think about. Most of us living, you know, in or near cities and not, not growing up around the farm and, and seeing the role and how crucial it is, how important it is. But God certainly draws attention to it in the Bible. You look at examples like King David. You look at Moses. He was out in the wilderness feeding his father's sheep when God called on him to lead or deliver Israel. Notice what it says in, in Numbers 27 and verse 15. This is Moses speaking with God near the end of his life. And Moses spoke to the Eternal, saying, verse 16, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, verse 17, which may go out before them, and which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the eternal be not as sheep which have no shepherd. Uh, you know, when you're thinking about my successor, select a good shepherd, someone that can really guide the sheep. Here in 2 Samuel chapter 7, I think I said turn to 2 Samuel, but uh, in any event, in all of these studies, yes, please read along, see what your Bible has to say, but yeah, David, uh, Moses, Joshua, all of them shepherds, all of them responsible for leading the sheep, guiding the sheep, feeding the sheep. Second Samuel 7 and verse 8, just to switch back to David here, it says, Now therefore, so shall you say unto my servant David, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepcote, from following the sheep, to be ruler over my people, over Israel. See, from the sheep coat or from out in the pasture to be the, the shepherd of Israel. The shepherd of Israel. It's amazing. It's amazing when you look at God's purpose and plan, how that so often when, when God needed to shape and, and to mold a human heart to be like his own, he went out and handpicked in the case of David, he handpicked a lowly shepherd. And that's the way the world views it. A shepherd, that even David's older brother, when he arrived at the scene to fight Goliath, and his brother basically said, what are you doing away from uh, you know, that, the, that role that you have? You're just a lowly shepherd. That's the way the world views it. But God looked at that heart that David had, that courageous heart, and he looked at the role that he was fulfilling out in the sheepcote, out in the field, out in the pasture. And he said, well, now there's a heart that's just like mine. Because God loves the sheep. God loves this world. God gave his only begotten son, the good shepherd. Because of how much he loves this world. Because of how much when he looks at human beings, he sees a future God being who's to be resurrected, just like King David's going to be resurrected and made prince over all of Israel in the wonderful world tomorrow. God is a family builder. God looks after his family. God leads and guides his family. He feeds the sheep. Verse 9 here, it says, And I was with you wherever you went, and have cut off all of your enemies out of your sight, 
and have made you a great name, like unto the name of the great men that are in the earth. God made Israel great. God is the one who made David great. And as these passages bring out, he just took him right out of the sheep field, right out of the pasture. Verse 10 says, Moreover, I will appoint a place for my people Israel, and I will plant them, and that they may dwell in the place of their own, and move no more, neither shall the children of wickedness afflict them any more as before time. Here again, this is a prophecy, a reference to Israel being gathered into their new land in the world tomorrow, and they'll be taken care of. They'll be, they, there will be shepherds. Verse 11, it says, And as since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people Israel, and have caused you to rest from all your enemies, also the Eternal tells you that he will make you an house. So God bestowed all of this incredible honor on King David, who was just, in the view of his older brother, just a lowly shepherd. That's all that he was. God actually established Jesus Christ's throne in that man, David. He was just an ordinary man, as my father has written before. And God calls it, God calls it the throne of David because he's trying to help us see what he's planning to do for all humanity, for every human being who's ever lived to come right into the sheepfold and to be nourished and to be strengthened and to be guided by Jesus Christ in the Key of David booklet. This is my father's booklet. Again, if you want to request any of the literature that we refer to on this program, the 800 number, if you live in the United States or Canada, it's 1-866-930-3024. Just call our operators today and request the Key of David. It's the booklet that goes by the same name as my father's uh, television program. But he says here, King David is a great example of the way God works. God bestowed incredible honor upon King David as well. He gave David the honor of actually starting Christ's throne on earth. David's throne is going to directly connect all of mankind to God. That's why it's called David's throne, not Christ's throne, which it is. It's named after an ordinary mortal man. It's named after David because God wants to gather in the world. He wants to gather in all the sheep. He wants to build a family. He's reproducing himself. Notice Isaiah 40, verse 3. Here is another prophecy that many of you are very familiar with. It says, The voice of him that cries into the, in the wilderness, I should say, Prepare you the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway to our God. It talks about, again, a millennial passage that speaks of every valley being exalted, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the crooked shall be made straight. And then down in verse 9, it says, O Zion, that brings good tidings, get you up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bring good tidings, there's an individual bringing good tidings to, to Jerusalem, to, to Zion, to Israel, it says, Lift up your voice with strength. Lift it up. Be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. There is a message. A message that has gone out to the cities of Judah and that continues to go out to these cities in Judah. 
the little nation of Israel in the Middle East. But notice what it leads into. It says, Behold, verse 10, Behold, the eternal God will come forth, or come with a strong hand, and his arm shall rule for him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work before him. It's all tied to the return of Jesus Christ. God's government is coming to this earth. So many of these prophecies speak of Jesus Christ coming back, and then, like we read in Ezekiel 34, king, people like King David being resurrected to rule with Christ. It says about Christ, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. See, here we are following in the example, the footsteps of Jesus Christ, and look at the way he takes care of his family. Look at the way Jesus Christ will interact with human civilization once the kingdom of God is set up and established on this earth and all forms of rebellion have been put down and, 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 and crushed. And then he's going to feed the flock of God. He's going to feed his flock like a shepherd. He's going to gather the lambs, gather them in. It's really a beautiful message. You talk about in-gathering, those that observe the Feast of Tabernacles a few weeks back. That's what that feast is all about, gathering in the whole world, gathering in everyone, ultimately everyone who's ever lived. Everyone will, will give a, get an opportunity to participate in God's plan and purpose. Everyone will have an opportunity to be fed by the Good Shepherd, to be guided by Jesus Christ and the family of God, to be nourished and strengthened, and they'll be safe in green pastures. It's a beautiful vision. The 800 number if you'd like to request any of the literature that we make available on this show or to subscribe to the Trumpet Magazine, that is 1-866-930-3024. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We certainly appreciate you joining us on today's show, and we'll see you again tomorrow.